I'm Shanna Hutchison, dietitian, blogger, and mama, born and raised in the heart of the Midwest. I believe that wellness goes way beyond what we eat and that our body size does not determine our worth. I'm passionate about showing other women how to live a life they truly love, one that feels purposeful, that helps them feel their best physically, mentally, and emotionally, and that being a mom can be one of the best things you ever do without it becoming your entire identity. This is a place you can come to hear vulnerable and interesting conversations about health and wellness, motherhood, entrepreneurship, and more. If you want to find freedom with food, learn how to improve your overall well-being, and stop waiting for a number on the scale to start living your best life and go after your goals, then you're in the right place. I'm so excited to learn and grow together. This is the Wellness for the Win podcast. Hello, hello, my friends. I am super excited for today's episode. I am sitting down to chat with my lovely husband. This is actually the first ever podcast recording that I did, Um, so it was nice to have a little practice run with the person that I'm most comfortable with in the whole world. So I collected a ton of finance-related questions from my Instagram followers specifically for this interview with Ethan. So we cover a ton of ground, uh, things like budgeting, saving, credit card debt, the best savings account to open for your kiddos, retirement accounts, and so much more. I really hope you will find this information helpful. Please be sure to send it to a friend or maybe your significant other who might be interested in learning some of this. Not super exciting, but important and very necessary stuff. So here we go. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I have my sweet husband, Ethan Hutchison, on today. A lot of you know that he is a financial advisor, and so I get a lot of questions about finance, and I am clearly not the expert on finance. So I am bringing him onto the show today to answer some of your top questions on personal finance and saving and budgeting and all of that fun, super sexy stuff. So first of all, hi, honey. Welcome to the show. Um, Take a second to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your journey in the finance world. You forgot to mention that I'm also your financial advisor. That is true. And my business manager. Business coach and mentor. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for having me. My name is Ethan Hutchison. I'm a partner and financial planner for Metcalf Partners Wealth Management. We are a small uh, boutique financial planning services company here in the Overland Park area. So, yep, we're local. I've been in the industry myself. Uh, a little over uh, seven going on eight years or eight going on nine, one of the two. Okay, perfect. Well, so you've been in the game for a bit and Uh so you've seen it all and you work mostly with individuals and I guess couples as well with financial planning. Yep. Uh, We we work with uh, individuals, couples, uh, institutions. We manage um, some 401k plans for smaller businesses and stuff like that. So we do an institutional management as well as the retail client to client side of things. Okay, cool. So you will be able to speak to all kinds of people. And I think my audience is primarily females, um, but, you know, moms, people that have families, uh, spouses, things like that. So I got a lot of questions about of course, saving and budgeting. But I think within budgeting comes saving, correct? You know, you kind of bake that into your overall budget. You're the master, obviously, of our family's budget. He is a very much a numbers and spreadsheet guy. I am not so much, um, but he runs it by me every so often. And I say, yep, looks great. Um, (laughs) So I wanted to start off with kind of budgeting 101, talking about, okay, what are some important things to include in a budget? Are there any things that you think you don't necessarily need to bake into the budget? Some of your favorite budgeting apps, that was a question too. I think that can be a helpful tool for people to use as well. So start us off with some basic budgeting tips. 
I'm interested to hear what you have to say about budgeting. What your <laughs> like I said, I just do what you tell me. I, okay. I trust your judgment. <laughs> so we'll start with the, the second half of that question, budgeting apps and budgeting software and all that. Personally, I hate all of the apps and all the software that's out there. I've tried them all from Truebill to Mint to Personal Capital, um, all of those. And they never seem to, even QuickBooks, we've tried QuickBooks. They never seem to capture what we're trying to accomplish, which is just trying to figure out what's coming in, what's going out and how to categorize. For instance, if you go to Target and I know when you go to Target, you go for a gallon of milk that should be you know, a $5 transaction. Well, you end up spending $200 and then it categorizes $200 in groceries, call it. It categorizes that whole $200 as consumer spending or buying it on goods when you bought groceries at Target. Um, same with like high V. If you go to high V to buy, it'll say that that $15 t-shirt is actually groceries when it wasn't. And then you got to go back in and figure out what you spent and how, and it's just, it's, it's confusing. And there's a lot of, uh, gray water there still in all the budgeting apps us personally. Uh, and for some of my clients, I've built out just a, a plain old fashioned spreadsheet just on Excel. Uh, it's a template that I've created, and there's hundreds of them out there if you just Googled budgeting template on Excel. But basically, budgeting in itself can really, how do I say it, handcuff the relationship that you have with money. And what I mean by that is, is budgeting and looking down into every single cent you spend can really play a toll on you from a psychological perspective. For instance, if you you say, hey, okay, Shanna, you and I, we're gonna this month, we're going to spend $250 on groceries. Well, let's say we have friends over and we have a party and I go to the meat store, I buy some meat to smoke. We spend up, we spend $500 this month on groceries. Some people, they look at that and they say, wow, damn, I spent way over, you know, what I, sh- what I should have spent. Why did I do that? And they just go into this spiral of overthinking the budgeting and, you know, what goes into that. So what I always encourage people to do is I call it budgeting for adults. We're all adults here. We, we should be able to figure out what money we have going coming in and what money we have coming out and maybe sit, sitting down twice a year to make sure your spending is adequate and kind of up to what you initially thought that that is. I think that's a really good approach rather than looking at your, you know, your statements every single month and itemizing stuff out that that can just be way too cumbersome and, and really puts a negative effect on a lot of people from a you know psychological perspective. Does that make sense? I think it's very like parallel to my view on calorie counting, for example. It's very tedious. It can be exhausting. It can really mess with your relationship with food. So I think they are so similar in that aspect where if you get too into the nitty gritty details, it can be just like this downward spiral that's not necessarily healthy or necessary. So it sounds like it's very much the same, which I think I think we both have a similar outlook, though that it's good to have awareness of where that money or those calories are being spent. You know, the quality of both of those things I think is important, but not obsessing over it. Is that correct? Do you agree? Okay. Absolutely. Very spot on. And and one thing I'll say, I'll add that I just thought about is, you know, automation and getting your bills set up. So they're automatic and they just, they come out of your account. You don't even have to think about it. And on the flip side of that, setting up automatic savings plans. And we'll talk about that later, I would assume, based on the questions you had sent me. But setting things up to where they're automatic and you don't have to sit down and say, okay, our gas bill was $90 this month. Our water was 100 Write a check here and write a check there. Just get it automated and just don't think about it again. And you, you'll get used to seeing those transactions coming out of your account. And you don't have to sit there and dwell on what you spent at the grocery store, which to your point exactly, just like calorie counting. I've never counted a calorie in my life. I couldn't even tell you it. 
you know, how to count those. So <laughs> I focus more on the money side of things. And I just subconsciously know, hey, we've got X amount coming in this month. We've got X amount coming out. And we have X amount put away for our tax bill or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So just high level knowing what your budget is. Yeah. And, and so it kind of goes back to for people who are learning about nutrition, who don't have that basic knowledge of, you know, what foods contain, how many calories, et cetera. Same goes with people who are just learning how to, you know, have control of their finances and not, you know, not go out of control with their spending. So with all of that said, what do you suggest as far as savings each month? Like, should people be putting away a certain percentage of their income, their joint income, if they're uh, a married couple, what should that look like? There are tons of rules of thumb, you know, strategies that are out there. And I told you at the beginning of this, before we started recording, you're not going to like a lot of my answers because it comes down (laughs) to sitting down with those people and really discovering and uncovering what their lifestyle is and then Mm -hmm. deciding on what the savings amount is for their particular lifestyle. For instance, if you're coming out of school, you're right out of college and you get your first job and you're making $45,000 a year, you've got student loans, you just got a brand new car, you're not going to be able to max out your 401k. That's probably unrealistic. You can't put $20,000 away when you're bringing home 45 minus taxes and stuff like that. So starting off, whether you're coming right out of school or whether you're 55 or 60, just start with something. It doesn't have to be much. You'll figure that out along the way. And again, you know, I've heard 15% of your income, you should be able to be saving. By the time you're 30, you should have one time salary in your retirement accounts. By the time you're 40, you should have three times salary in your retirement accounts. And there's all those um, you know, what if scenarios that are out there, but really figuring out what makes the most sense for you and your particular plan. That's what I would hang my hat on every day of the week. Okay. I have to tell you guys about one of my absolute favorite things that I'm pretty confident that you need in your life as well. We're all on our phones for a large portion of every day, right? So why not make it easier and more comfortable to hold your phone or prop it up with a nifty little gadget. I'm talking about my love handle phone grip. I'm seriously obsessed with this thing. So it's a stretchy strap that you can put on the back of your phone, but you can still lay your phone flat or stick it in your back pocket. It also has a little kickstand on the back so you can prop your phone up, which is probably my favorite feature that I'm using constantly. It even has a super strong magnet on the back. They have tons of cute designs and you can stick them on any phone case. If you've been looking for something like this, look no further. Use my affiliate code wellness for the win for 10% off your purchase of Love Handle. All right, let's get back to the show. All right. We're jumping back into some questions after some uh, communication with our daycare provider (laughs) very (laughs) conveniently during our chat. So questions on savings. So kind of continuing that conversation, a lot of people had questions about saving for big purchases, such as a down payment on a house or buying a car or what to do when you have several of those things coming up. What strategies or tips do you have for people who are in that boat where they're needing to put money away for several big purchases coming up in the near future. Keep it in cash. Don't try to get fancy and sexy with it and put it in the market and try to buy GameStop or AMC and make <laughs> 10 times your money because it's not going to happen. If, if you are just saving to save and you don't know what you're saving for, let's say you just bought a house, you've got some extra income, you're doing everything you can with your retirement accounts, open up a joint account with your spouse, or if you're single, just it's called a TOD, a transfer on death account. And that's just a plain Jane investment account where you can buy 
stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs inside of that account. And you can just save for the generic future and with just extra cash flow. And when it comes down to the time, you know, let's say you, you start one of those accounts and you've got $60,000 in there, it's been five years, it's grown to $75,000 and you want to buy a new house in the next 18 months. Cash out of that, get everything in cash. Um, because as we're experiencing now in the current market that we're in, um, there's a lot of negative returns that are out there across the entire broad market. So if you were to put a hundred grand into the market thinking, hey, this is going to be 110 grand in a year and I can use this as a down payment for my home, that's not going to be there because the market itself has taken you know 15% pullback. So I recommend anything within the next nine to 12 months that you think you're going to need that money for, keep it in cash, automate your cash savings as well. Just put it into a separate saving account, earmark it for the future, and don't try to be too sexy with it, especially with stocks. And anytime you invest, there's risk. I want to set that expectation now. So if you need it and know you need it, keep it in cash because there's zero risk at the bank. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, on that same note, there were a ton of questions too about obviously investing because I think for people like me who... <laughs> are not financial advisors and haven't been in that world. I think it feels very intimidating, not only because like you said, there is risk, but there's also so many options. And so it's like, how do we know where to begin? What's a good investment? How do you know how much money should you have in savings versus investments? You know, so I guess I know you talk a lot about diversifying your finances, correct? Is that the right term to use? <laughs> correct. Yeah. I'm a huge proponent of an emergency savings account. This goes back to the beginning budget, figuring out what your monthly need is. And then, you know, for single income households, make sure you've got six to nine months of cash of that need in a savings account. Same with, you know, joint, you know, both of us work. Uh, we've got, six to nine months of savings in cash always in our, in like a separate, I call it an emergency savings account. We've got like five savings accounts. They're all different earmarks <laughs> for, you know, for different stuff. And you can do that. There's nothing wrong with that. But I would say first and foremost, get your emergency savings taken care of because the fastest way to derail your retirement or your financial plan, whatever you want to call it, is not having cash to put brakes on your car or new tires, or a new hot water tank goes out. You need hot water to shower, stuff like that. And then you got to go to your credit cards and then you start racking up credit card debt. And then you can't pay the credit card debt off because it spirals. So start with cash, a safety net first and foremost, get that built up before you even start investing. Now I say that, but I'm talking about outside of your 401k. You definitely want to save into your 401k or your employer sponsored plan get your match. A lot of companies will match 100% up to 3% or 50% up to 6%. Basically, that's just a way that your company makes sure you're invested in the company as well. You're putting some skin in the game to get the match back. Um, so get your match and then start building up your, your savings, get your savings where it is, and then kind of reevaluate your, your situation and then start putting more money into the market as well. A 401k is a great place to put it. Roth IRAs, traditional IRAs, Roth 401ks are new. They're awesome. Um, your HSA account is a good place to invest, as well as, like I said earlier, that generic joint account or the TOD account for the individuals. And all those accounts are completely different and they're all tax different and they all have their own rules and stipulations on when you can touch the money, what you can use the money for, how it's taxed in retirement, how it's taxed now. So either sit with a professional, do your research, figure out what makes the most sense for you and your situation, and then kind of you know go from there. Getting started in investing is very intimidating because you turn on the news and you see, hey, Apple did 20% today and 
Google went down 15% and Google's doing a stock split and all this stuff. And those are individual stocks and those are fun to own, but getting started, you want to invest. And like you said earlier, diversify, look at indexes or ETFs or mutual funds, where you can buy one thing. For instance, a mutual fund might cost you a thousand dollars, but inside of that thousand dollars, inside those shares of mutual funds, you own maybe 50 to hundred stocks inside of that fund. So there you're diversifying and you're not experiencing the volatility that you would if you owned just Apple or just Google. So very roundabout way of saying, just take it slow, um, start with your cash savings, build up that safety net first, and then explore and get out into the market. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So like you mentioned too, right now the market is crazy. Things are up and down, mostly down and people are you know freaking out about their investment accounts. And so again, I'm not someone who is an expert in this, but I do know that what goes up must come down and vice versa, right? You know, there's always going to be those ups and downs. And so how do you counsel people, you know, clients during a time like this when things are down? Um, You know, how do you reassure them, you know, for people who do have investments and that are feeling nervous, you know, obviously you don't want to, you want to buy low, sell high, right? (laughs) Um, Right. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of strategy around it. I mean, my clients that are retired, so I, for just for context, I work with, I think my youngest client is 23 and then my oldest client is like 92. So I've got a pretty broad client base that I work with. My clients that are retired, we utilize just a pretty uh, simple bucket strategy where they have two to three years of cash needs inside of a very safe investment account. They might own fixed income assets like bonds, um, treasury bills, things of that nature, and then just plain Jane, good old cash. And they're going to have two to three years of cash living expenses in that account. The rest of their assets are going to be in more risky accounts that we have, you know, dialed up the risk tolerance a little bit. They're going to be in more mutual funds, you know, stock-based mutual funds and ETFs and things of that nature. We don't really care what happens in the short term. The reason we do two and three years of cash, because market cycles themselves, these corrections, they don't last forever. If you take a look at the S&P 500 and you zoom out and look from 1992 until 2022, you're going to see a lot of a roller coaster and a lot of ups and downs. But you start here, I'm trying to do this on the screen, you start here in 1992 and you end up here in 2022. But in between these two points, there's a lot of volatility, even though the trend overall is positive. Mm-hmm. So if you don't need the money in the next 24 months, don't stress out about it. Just right. don't look at your accounts. Right. Uh, it's tough to do. And it's easy for me to say, I mean, I see it and live it every day. So it's different whether I'm talking to a client who's in tech and they don't see their accounts or understand the market like I do. I will always encourage my clients, you know, if you have questions, call me, shoot me an email. I'll answer your questions for you, but this isn't the end of the world. Take a second and zoom out. And look what the stock market overall has done over the past 30 years. And this is just a small blip in the radar. And my retired clients actually have lived through March of 2020, 2008, 2009, beginning of 2007. The end of 2018 was actually a a terrible time in the market as well. So there has been many volatile market cycles over the course of someone's investable career. Just know that these things don't last forever. So I wanted to rewind back to a few terms that you used recently, like 401k, Roth IRA, because I got some questions on those. And I think those just sound like a bunch of gibberish, like 
I don't know. I know you've talked to me about a Roth, Roth IRA, but I don't know exactly what that means. 401k, like you mentioned, is for retirement specifically. So for people who are just, say, in their very first job out of college and they have a 401k, can you explain what exactly that is and kind of touch again on the process? Is that something that we are automatically given through our employer? Is it something we have to apply for? Um, I know you mentioned some employers do a match. So they contribute a certain percentage. Can you kind of briefly explain that? Cause I think that's a yeah. common question. So one thing I'll hit on first, cause I think it's most important is the Roth side of things. So Roth IRA and most recently Roth 401ks are actually becoming increasingly popular for everyone or for specific people. Roth 401ks are coming, becoming popular for people that have 401k providers at work. Um, a 401k is an employer sponsored retirement plan. Um, that is a retirement plan that is given to you as part of your employee benefit package through your employer. Some small businesses don't have those. They might have a simple IRA or a SEP IRA, or they might not have anything at all because they're a small business. They might have two or three employees and it might not make sense to them. But you know, you can start those up. Those are fairly easy accounts to, to start up, but it's part of the employee benefits package. You'll, you'll hear me and other advisors talk about you know, Roth IRAs and traditional IRAs. Um, your Roth IRA is your post-tax account. So your money hits plain Jane. I'll do a high-level example. You get paid, taxes come out of your account, so it comes out of your paycheck. You deposit that money after tax into that Roth. It grows tax-deferred. And when you pull it out in retirement, it comes out tax-free. So I'll say that one more time. You get paid, you withhold taxes from your employer, that money hits your checking account, and then you put it into a Roth. So it's already been taxed, grows tax deferred, and then comes out tax-free in retirement. So the reason that's amazing is because we know what taxes are now. We don't know what taxes are going to be like in 20 or 30 or 40 years. There's no telling mm, what those are going yeah. to be like. Historically, they're the lowest they've ever been now. So pay your taxes now. Don't worry about it. And you'll never have to worry about it again. Mm-hmm. Another beautiful thing, and this is this is getting a little over my skis, but Roth <laughs> IRAs are, are really good estate planning tools to pass down to your children. Um, because there are no required minimum distributions like there are in traditional IRAs. An RMD comes from traditional accounts. So your, your, your pre-tax accounts. Okay. So a traditional 401k, traditional IRA, rollover IRA, all of those mean the same thing from a tax perspective. So same example, you get paid from your employer. Your employer doesn't take any taxes out. They just automatically make a contribution to your 401k. That money sits in there, grows tax deferred. So you pay no taxes along the way. And then when you pull the money out in retirement or whenever you pull it out, you have a ordinary income tax that's attached to that dollar figure that you pull out of that account. So the reason why I think that's scary is because we don't know what taxes are going to be like in the next 30 or 40 years. Taxes now are, in my personal opinion, high, although historically and relatively to everything else, they're low. But Taxes are expensive. It's your biggest expense that you incur over your lifetime. So getting that out of the way now in your Roth account is is one of the best things that you can do. Another thing I encourage my younger clients to do is when they are young and they're not at their peak earning years yet, put as much money as you can away in those Roth accounts because eventually you're going to make too much money and you cannot contribute to those Roths anymore. There are income limits that the IRS sets. Um, and what are those? A, Do you know? I, I would tell you, but 
they age, they change every single year. Okay. And there's a, there's an age. So it's $208,000 of modified adjusted gross income per couple. And then I think the single rate is in the 140s. I, I have to dive into it. It's the beginning of 2022. They may have changed. Okay. But for instance, there are income limits and phase out limits to put money into a Roth. There are strategies, backdoor Roth IRA is a big one. I use that a lot with my clients, but there are certain stipulations you have to meet to qualify for those loopholes. So I say all this and it's a really confusing if you're just hearing this for the first time, but call somebody, do some research, figure out what a Roth means and what the traditional IRA means and make your own judgment call. But I feel like if, if you're going to put money into that 401k, that Roth is probably the best, best thing for you. Okay. Really, okay. really early on. And for both of those accounts, is there a specific age that you can access that money or can you get it any time? 59 and a half is okay. the rule. Roth IRAs, there are certain rules that you can access the money penalty-free if the money's been in there for five years and you just draw your principal out of that. And then for education saving, for education expenses and stuff like that, there's some different rules around there. But I, to me, I think your IRAs need to be for retirement. IRA means and stands for individual retirement account. Mm. So make that for Good your retirement. <laughs> yeah. So keep your IRAs for retirement. Don't really... They're not a savings account. You can't dig in there and grab money out of there anytime you want to because there's a 10% penalty mm. sometimes along with taxes on top of that as well. So you're just shooting yourself in the foot if you dig into your qualified retirement accounts as a savings account. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very confusing. Sorry that, I mean, that's, <laughs> it's, it's just, there's a lot of rules and stipulations that are out there. Yeah. That's just how it goes. Um, okay. So kind of segue into a new topic. Actually, this one might be a quick, easy answer. Um, and I feel like I know what you're going to say, but people asking about if they're getting married soon, do you recommend combining finances and are there pros or cons to not combining versus combining? Do you get any sort of tax break if you combine or no? Well, if you file jointly, you do get a tax break. I, I would say I recommend all my clients file jointly, but but to file your taxes jointly, you don't have to have joint accounts, have joint checking accounts. Yeah. That's a hundred percent personal preference. I work with clients that, that do both. What's interesting. And as you grow and as your family grows, let's say for instance, you know, what you typically see is the husband keeps working. The mother steps away from the workforce, takes care of the kids and then goes back to work eventually, you know, down the road or whatever that looks like. When one of the spouses takes a step back from work and exits the workforce, they no longer have access to that employer sponsored 401k or anything like that. So if the income levels apply to you, the working spouse can make spousal IRA contributions in the name of the non-working spouse, as long as you guys file jointly. So that's a planning technique that we use to make sure that the non-working spouse, I always call it, gets paid for the sacrifices that they're making for that family. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is a very, I'll say, shitty thing to think about, but let's say you step away from work and you no longer make contributions to that 401k or IRA or anything. And then your kids grow up, you're 18, your husband's got $2 million in his 401k and you guys get a divorce and you haven't been saving for 18 years or whatever that looks like, you miss out on a lot of growth and a lot of um, income and saving potential that's there. So that spousal IRA is kind of also a safeguard for that non-working spouse to say, hey, you know, being a stay-at-home mom is not easy 
cake at all. So let's compensate you for that and, and make you know those spousal IRA contributions if the budget in the plan allows for that. I think that's a really good tip because I think obviously no one plans to get divorced, but it happens. Um, so yeah, arming yourself in that way. Cause I think everyone knows that divorce can be very stressful financially. So that's a really good yeah. tip that I would never have known. Okay. So speaking of families, having kids, things like that. Um, there were also a lot of questions about what is the best savings plan to have if you have kiddos, like a 529 account. Is that something that we have for RET? What are we doing to plan? Obviously, without details um, of numbers and things like that. But what is recommended for if you're saving for college or just for your kiddo in general? Yeah, there's a lot. There's a there's a ton of stuff. There's 529s. There's covered L accounts. Um, you can do UTMAs, UGMAs, which are Uniform Gift to Minors Act accounts where you can fund those accounts while your child is a minor. And then when they turn 18, they get all the money that's inside of there. I shy away from those because if I turned 18 and suddenly got $200,000 in my name, <laughs> I don't know that I'd be where I'm at today Yeah, because uh, you're pretty irresponsible at that age. But there are a ton of accounts out there that have education or future children savings attached to them. Us personally, as, as I think you know, we are taking advantage of the 529 account. That's a, an education savings account where the money grows inside that account when it comes out for qualified education expenses. There's no taxes and stuff associated with it. So that's a really good tool because I want our son to go to college. But in the environment we're in where college is not necessarily necessary anymore, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, you, I've seen people make six figures right out of college at college age and not even go to college anymore. You can right. uh, you know, be a pipe fitter and make incredible money, insane yeah. amount of money. Or be a blogger uh, and make millions of dollars. Or working <laughs> for the union or whatever it is. There's a yeah. lot of other trades that are out there that pay extremely well these days. So a lot of people don't want to force their kids to go to school, but they want to help them put a down payment on their first house, help them right. buy their first car or just maybe they need two years of trade school and they'll help fund that. So there are other savings avenues um, for those as well. And the landscape is always changing. You know, education is a, hot, a huge topic, especially with student loan debt and things of that nature. Who knows what it's going to look like in 10 years or 18 years rather, because kind of the time frame we're saving for. We are not saving enough to fund our child's college 100%. Mm-hmm. We're saving enough to fund our child's college about 50%. In the event that Rhett, who's our son, decides, I do not want to go to school, we don't have all of our money tied up in that 529 account because there's a 10% penalty to pull that money out if it's not used for education savings. Okay, that was going to be my question. We're kind of hedging our bet on that and, and we'll hopefully be in a position where we can cash flow the remainder of his college if needed or... You know, we can look at loans and stuff like that for him if, if that's the, the route we go. But that's a just a safety net that I've built into our plan that says we'd love for him to go. If he does go, we've got two years covered with education and inflation and the things. It's a huge sticker shock when you run the numbers and say, I have to save $200,000 for my kid to go to two years at KU yeah. in 20 years. Um, and historically, that's just the cost of inflation for education that it has been. So that's what people are saving. For. Yeah. Who knows what that's, that landscape is going to look like in that amount of time, but that's just, you know, rather safe than sorry type of yeah. savings. Okay. So the 529 is specifically for education then. So you get penalized if you use it for something else. And then the yeah. other alternative was like the UGMA or something. Are those the only options or the, the best so, options? 
there's Coverdell accounts. There are college credit savings accounts. Um, you can go directly to K-State, which is the best school in the United States, and go to K-State <laughs> and say, hey, I want my kid to go the here and purchase credits and things like that. There's a lot of different avenues. A really popular one that I see most of my clients are doing is, for instance, like you and I, Shannon, we have a joint account. I don't know if you know that, but we put money into that <laughs> joint account. I'm aware. Yes, we would have uh, a separate joint account that would just be earmarked for rent for when he turns 18 or when, whatever he needs at that age. We've got a bucket of money that's sitting there that we could say, hey, you decided not to go to school. We will help you go to trade school and put a down payment on your first house or, or get you into an apartment, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, so you see a lot of people diversifying those savings buckets as well. You might have like us, we'll have half of the school paid for half of it might just be sitting in a joint account. So it's just personal preference between the couples that I work with. Okay. Good to know. Okay, friends, really quick. I need to talk about some of our favorite products that we have used throughout Rhett's whole life. Tubby Todd. I'm sure you've heard of them. And if not, you're welcome. They're famous for the all over ointment, which we loved and used all the time when Rhett had super dry skin as a little babe and his cradle cap. Um, And we absolutely love all of their bath soaps and shampoos as well. Their products are all pediatrician and dermatologist tested, and they have gentle body care basics for the whole family, including you, Mama. Another item of theirs that we love is the Sweet Cheeks Diaper Paste. It works like a charm and magically makes diaper rash vanish overnight, which makes my heart really happy because seeing his little bum red makes me super sad. (laughs) Head to the show notes to grab my affiliate link for 10% off your purchase and make bath time better with Tubby Todd. Okay, let's get back to the episode. What about, let's briefly touch on credit card debt because it's obviously a very real thing. And, you know, a lot of people get into that position and they just feel very overwhelmed. Like, where do I even begin? Someone asked a question about, do you pay higher balance cards or lower balance cards first? I don't even know where to begin on that because I've never been in that situation. Or thankfully, I barely dabbled in credit cards before Ethan and I got married. So I'm curious to hear you know, your thoughts on what to do in that situation. Yeah. As much as I don't like the guy, uh, he's got a really good credit card strategy. I'm talking about Dave Ramsey. Uh, <laughs> I think his advice is very generic and it helps so many people. And I understand that. And there's a place for him. But if you're really working with a financial planner, it's about your situation and not you know, the broad spectrum of what people should quote unquote do. But what he does do well is help people with debt management. And um, the snowball effect is something that I have put into my practice and, and talked to clients about. And that is paying off your highest interest rate credit cards first or your highest interest rate debt first, whether that's student loans, personal lines of credit you have out, anything like that, tackle the highest interest rate first. Where that becomes important is exactly what we're doing right now. The Fed, they've got Fed meetings uh, Tuesday and Wednesday of this week, and they're going to raise interest rates. When they raise interest rates, ultimately that has an effect on the interest rates inside of revolving credit, which is credit cards, borrowing money, interest rates for homes, mortgages, things of that nature. So if you've got $5,000 of outstanding credit card debt at 16%, and the Fed raises interest rate, well, your minimum payment goes from $300 a month up to $350 a month because they raised rates. And then the next time they raise rates, that minimum payment is going to keep going up. So it keeps getting increasingly harder to tackle these debts that you have if you're only making the minimum payment. So focus on one, pay it down as quick as you can, move on to the next one and rank those from highest to lowest from an interest rate perspective, tackle those. So the first one, you might have a $100 payment, pay that off. $100, you haven't missed it because you've been paying that debt for the last two years. 
roll that $100 payment into the next interest rate of debt that you have, pay that damn thing off and just keep rolling that snowball cash flow you have extra. Don't go out and buy a new car, <laughs> roll it into that next credit card you have, pay that shit off and then go buy a new car. Because you'll have yeah. a lot better credit at that point in time too and get yeah. a better rate of car. So yeah. Okay. That's good to know. Do you have any favorite Instagram accounts or legit places people can go for finance advice that is credible and, you know, like actual financial experts on the gram or anywhere else that would be helpful? Any other favorites that you have that you personally enjoy reading and think also makes it, you know, relatable and understandable? Just like you, Shannon, in your, you know, career, you had to get licensed and mm-hmm. you have continuing education and and compliance and things that you have to keep up on, as do we as investment advisors. I've got licensing and designations and continuing education, and I've got compliance and there's just a lot of rules. So be careful about who and where you get your your advice from. Because I've brought on clients that have gotten advice from some Instagram account who's got 5 million followers because Kim Kardashian said that Bitcoin was the next best, best thing. They put all their money in and they got no money now. So be very careful on who you get your information from because there is what seems to be a lot of good information out there, but it's just from people who are getting paid by someone else to make it some advice because they have money in that and they want that value to go up. So right. I'll get, I'll change. Yeah. Anyway, so that's, <laughs> your two that's cents, I, no I, pun I intended. Um, <laughs> the main one that I follow and that I see is stuff all the time is just it's per, at personal finance club, I think is the name of the account. It's got good information. It puts uh, compound interest into perspective to people and shows the value of investing and things like that. But again, like like I said at the beginning, it all depends on your situation because you and I, our financial situation is completely different from the person that I just met with two hours ago. And then also completely different than the person I'm meeting with today at 3.30. So in my opinion, blanket advice is bad advice. Um, you need to have tailored advice when it comes to your finances. You're going to be better off in the long run for that. Getting started and just figuring stuff out. I mean, marketwatch.com, Yahoo Finance, Forbes. I mean, all those, you know, investopedia.com is incredible. If I've said any word today that you don't understand, go to investopedia.com, type it in, and it's an encyclopedia for investments. It's a really mm-hmm. cool um, website to go. And I use it still for refreshers on things. Um, and like urban trouble, dictionary for finance yeah, stuff. Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> huh, if you trouble sleeping at night, you can go to the IRS website and read the tax code. <laughs> Something we had to do recently. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's good to know. Those are all some good resources. I'll try to also put those in the show notes below. Okay. Well, lastly, first of all, before we do a few fun questions and, you know, a nice little send off, Again, tell everyone where they can find you if they wanted to work with you as an advisor. Give us that information. So our website is metcalfpartners.com. You can go to that website and then go to About Us and you'll see my picture and my bio and all everyone that I work with. So we're a small shop, but um, you can either work with me or my partners. Um, everyone here is incredible at what they do and you'll be happy uh, with every which way you go there. Um, you can go to my Instagram at <laughs> Ethan Hutch. Mm-hmm. All lowercase. I was that doesn't say matter. .com. It's just at Ethan. <laughs> I've got a calendar link. You can schedule a call with me. We don't charge by the hour. And some advisors do, but if you just have questions, you know, I'm always open to shoot me a message and stuff like that. LinkedIn, Ethan Hutchison. Oh, I do have a business Facebook. <laughs> there you go. Ethan Hutchison AAMS is my yes. designation I've got there. So that's where Perfect. you can find me. 
Awesome. Okay. A few fun little questions to get to know you. Obviously, I think I know you fairly well, but we'll find out from these questions. Okay. Are you ready? Okay. Mexican food or Italian food? Mexican. Oh my gosh. I'm surprised by that. I thought you would say Italian because you love it so much. I knew you thought you'd think that. (laughs) Keeping me on my toes. That's what keeps marriage fun. Um, If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? One, two, three. Colorado. (laughs) Knew it. Um, What is your number one all-time favorite dessert? Key lime pie. I thought you were either going to say that or Oreos. (laughs) Another favorite. What is your biggest fear? The older I've gotten, I'm more afraid of heights. Oh, I, I was watching that. the other day and some guy was on the edge of a building and my palms just started to sweat. <laughs> I'm like, what in the hell? And then I'm getting scared of heights. So I got to start yeah. skydiving again or something. Coming from someone who used to, who went skydiving once upon a yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm selfishly putting this one in here. What's your favorite thing about me? <laughs> Why do you love me, honey? <laughs> your passion for growth and desire to cook awesome meals every single night. Oh, thanks, bub. <laughs> Appreciate you. Yes. Um, okay. And last but not least, this is kind of a deep question, but just to send everyone off, what is the best piece of advice you have ever received? Not necessarily related to finance, but just in general, the best piece of advice you've ever received. <laughs> if you wait until the last minute to do something, it only takes a minute. So. <laughs> That is kind of funny and also true, (laughs) depending on what it is, but that's a good one. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time and expertise. I think this was really helpful and it even helped refresh and educate me on a lot of things. Um, So I hope people enjoy it. Again, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Really hope you got some value out of this. Um, As always, please rate, review, and subscribe to the pod if you enjoyed it. And if you want to share it with other people, we would so appreciate it. So screenshot it, share it on your stories, tag me. And I'm so excited to hear what you took away from this episode. Thank you all so much. And thank you, Ethan. And talk to you next time. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode and took away some tips or wisdom that you can apply to boost your health and happiness starting today. If you did, I would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and review to help other women like you find my show and get inspired to start living a life they love. Also, take a quick screenshot and share it to your Instagram stories. Be sure to tag me at wellness for the win so I can see why you love today's show. Thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time.